This morning, uh, we're looking at a story uh, from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, uh, the raising of Lazarus, uh, verses 1 through 44. So it's sort of a a long, weird, weirdo story, if we're just being honest about it. Um, So we're going to read it. You can follow along. The words will be on the screen behind me and in front of you if you've got it. But John 11, 1 through 44, before we Before we hear the story, let's pray together. God, in these next few moments, um, we pray that your voice would be the voice that we hear. Pray, Spirit, that that you would breathe new life into us. We pray that you would help us to see things that maybe we haven't seen before or understand things that maybe we haven't understood before and that you uh, would reveal yourself to us, that you would show up and that you would show off and that you would speak and that we would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, who, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Can I just pause there? This is already, are we getting a, like this is a sort of strange story, right? Um, Let's just be honest about it. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking you for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? They asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. We'll stop right there. The raising of Lazarus kind of a strange story, kind of an odd story, kind of a weird story. I mean, even the way that Jesus is talking in the story, like even the way he talks to the Father, like, thank you for hearing me. I know that you've heard me. I know that you always heard me, but I've said this kind of out loud so that other people can hear and they may believe. It's kind of just, the whole thing is just odd and strange, but also fascinating. And if we're paying attention, I think all the stories about Jesus in this book are, are fascinating, Right? And I think they seem to have this like mysterious quality to them. And I think mysteries are great because they sort, of, they sort of draw us in. They invite us closer. They invite us to ask questions, to interrogate, to investigate, to, to sort of to wonder. And I think that this story of Lazarus walking out of his tomb, I think this is one of the, this is like, whoa, this is super mysterious. Because it's not like any of us have ever experienced anything like that before right? We experienced anything like this. I mean, we've heard the stories. We've heard the stories of people who have, who have died, right? And then they sort of see this light off in the distance. They experience this sort of heavenly presence. Maybe even they, they experience the presence of Jesus. And then suddenly they wake up and they find themselves on a hospital bed looking up at doctors and nurses trying to save their life. We've heard stories like that, haven't we? Yeah, we've heard stories like that. But it but, but a dead guy getting up? A dead man walking out of his own tomb? I mean, imagine if something like that happened today. 
I mean, honestly, everybody would be pulling out their cell phones and we'd have all sorts of video of the thing, of the event, and we could watch it. Wouldn't that be nice if we had video of this event happening? Oh, that would be so good. Today, we would have video of this happening. We would have Jesus and Lazarus, the two Marys, and probably all the other eyewitnesses. They'd be, they'd be interviewed on a morning show the next morning or maybe the next morning. And we'd have all of these pictures and video, and it would just be fantastic. And we'd be able to see it with our own eyes, and it would be awesome. But we don't have that. So we have, to, we have to look at this story and we have to question it. We have to ask questions. We have to interrogate it. We have to ask the question, why did Jesus do it the way he did? And why did John write it down the way he wrote it down for us? After all, John is writing this story for us. He says so in, in his stories about Jesus. He says, I'm writing these for those who have not seen and yet still believe. So it's an invitation into this mystery. So I'm just going to sort of retell the story rather quickly, and then I'm going to say a few words about it, and we'll see where this whole thing goes. So Jesus' friend Lazarus is sick. We know this because Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus. You know, there are other stories in the Gospels about Mary and Martha Right? They're friends of Jesus, really good friends of Jesus. Mary is the thoughtful one. If you remember the story, she sat at the feet of Jesus, and she was there to learn from him, to sort of pay close attention to the things that he said and taught and what he did. And she was there to sort of adore him. And Martha is the busy one. She's the one who's the expert in the kitchen. She's the one who's trying to make sure that everything is just perfect and right so that Jesus would have everything he needed so that things could be as perfect as they could be for her, for her Lord. Mary and Martha, good friends of Jesus, they send word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And then the story goes on. Mysteriously, Jesus, think about Jesus, the great healer, Mr. Compassion, who's put people's lives together before. Even, even later on, people question, this dude who, who helped the blind man see, could he not have prevented this man from, from dying? Jesus, the great healer, Mr. Compassion, takes his time to respond. I, actually, he waits two long days before walking the two short miles from Jerusalem to Bethany. In spite of the landscape and the fact that he was wearing sandals, if he hoofed it and he did it quickly, I'm guessing he was in pretty good shape because he walked wherever he went. He probably could have made it there into Lazarus's bedside in like 20 to 30 minutes, like a 10 to 15 minute mile. He could have done that at the very most, like maybe 40 minutes. He could have been there, but he waits. He waits. And by the time he gets to where Lazarus is, he'd already been dead for four days. He'd been in the tomb for four days. So we can understand why Martha's a little bit angry and Mary's too upset to even come out of the house where she's staying. So Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Can you hear the bite in her tone? Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you been there before? We've all had, 
had that feeling. If only God were involved. Like if, if, if only God would have, would have intervened. If only I was closer to Jesus, then things would have, would have turned out differently. Then things would have gone my way. I wouldn't be dealing with this if only Jesus had showed up. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. We all know what that feels like. And Jesus responds simply and to the point, your brother will rise again. What? And it seems to me that Martha doesn't want to have any, any of this kind of talk. Like it's almost as if she says, yeah, I know Jesus. My brother will rise again on the last day when your people are resurrected. But what about now? That does nothing for me now. Who's going to take care of me Who's going to take care of Mary? Your good friends. That doesn't do anything for me now. And if this story wasn't weird enough, mysterious enough, it gets even weirder. It gets even more mysterious. Jesus looks at her and says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? What? The resurrection and the life? What are you talking about, Jesus? What does that even mean? See, this is asking us, it's helping us to ask questions. What do you mean by that, Jesus? This story is an invitation to interrogate it. This story is an invitation to wonder. What in the world does that all mean? So here's, here's sort of my take on it. Here's, here's what I think. I think Jesus said those things to Martha. And I think John recorded them the way he did for us so that we would begin to open open up our thinking so that we would begin to conceive of the world differently, to understand that things aren't always the way they seem, not as long as Jesus is around. Open up our thinking. See, we think we know the way the world works, just like Martha did. She thought she knew what was going on. She'd been taught by her world and by the things that she'd seen, and by the things that she'd experienced, she knows what's going to happen. She knows what happens when the only male living relative dies. She thought she would be forgotten by society. She thought that she would be left on her own, that no one would take care of her, that she was essentially left for dead. Martha was worried sick about her own future and about the future for her sister Mary. She thought there's nothing left for us now. And it's in that kind of thinking that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, do you believe this? So I think what we're talking about here is a fundamental shift in the way we conceive of the world and what happens in it. God is the one who rules. God who gave life to the world sustains the world and all who live in it. Resurrection and life, what are those? They signify a, a hopeful view of the world in any situation in which we might find ourselves. We live in a world where anything can happen. We live in a world where all things are possible. It's time to open up the way we think, to conceive of the world differently, to be ready for new life, for God to surprise us and do something new. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said, and I am still here with you. Do you believe this? It's an invitation to open up our thinking.
And I don't think we do this often enough. In fact, I don't think we necessarily like to do this because we like to, we like to keep our thinking closed in and comfortable. Because if we open up the way we think, if we're open to new ideas, if we're open to new possibilities, you know what else we're open to? We're open to risk. We're open to failure. We're open to ridicule. We're open to pain. Because here's the deal. New ideas, new ways of thinking aren't always met with support and enthusiasm. When the telephone was invented, Western Union put out a statement that said this, this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means for communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. Boy, did they get that one wrong. The chief engineer of the British Post Office said this, the Americans have need of the telephone, but we do not. We have plenty of messenger boys. <laughs> what? Did you know that Atari and Hewlett-Packard, they both turned down Steve Jobs when he requested for them to build Steve Wozniak's personal computer. Oops. So new ideas, new ways of thinking, new ways of understanding of the world, new ways of conceiving of the world aren't always met with support. So sometimes we don't want to hope. So sometimes we don't want to think about the world differently. Because sometimes we feel as though the world, other people will just think we're foolish. That we're out of touch with reality. That we believe in fairy tales. But Jesus says, no, it matters what we believe. It matters. He says to us, I am the resurrection and the life, and I am right here. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that something new can happen? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Let me see if I can put some flesh on this. So you're caught in an addiction. Everyone's writing you off, and you feel like there's no way out. Jesus says, it doesn't have to be this way. Open up your thinking. I am here, and I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? You've lost your job. Your house is next. Jesus says it doesn't have to be that way. I am the resurrection and the life, and I am here with you. Do you believe this? You're in an unhealthy relationship. It's really hard, maybe even an abusive one, and you think there's no way out or you're scared to get out because you don't know what the future will hold, and so you feel like you're just stuck in this bad pattern and you don't know what to do. Jesus says, it doesn't have to be that way. I am the resurrection and the life. I am here with you. New life is possible. Do you believe this? Open up your thinking. We live in a world with terrorism. We live in a world where people have have access to any kind of gun they want. We live in a world where people in our own tribe, Jesus people, have embraced dangerous rhetoric and violence in order to get what they want. And Jesus says, you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. Open up your thinking. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And I am here with you. Do you believe this? And then Jesus 
deeply moved, looks straight into the mouth of that dark tomb and says, take away the stone. Get ready. You're about to see the glory of God. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man walked out. What once was dead is alive again. The dead man came out. Things aren't always as they seem, not as long as Jesus is around. It matters what we believe. It matters what we believe about Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. And he is with us. But you know what? It also goes beyond that. It's not just a matter of of what we believe. It's not just an invitation here to sort of open up our thinking. I think this is much, much more than just abstract ideas about, about what may be and what new life may come. It's an actual invitation to change the way we live. It's an invitation to, to live into new life now. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead. The dead man came out. God can give us new life here, now, in the present. And we can either live into it or not. So it's more than just our thinking. It's more than just our believing. It's about acting. It's about doing. It's about choosing to actually live differently. Once Lazarus stumbled out of the tomb, he had a choice as to how he was going to live his life. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine walking out of that tomb and having the choice of how now you're going to live? So what did he do? What did Lazarus do once he walked out of that tomb? We're not quite sure. There's some legends about him. What we do know in chapter 12 is that once the chief priests, he became sort of an instant celebrity. Oh, of course he did. Like today, he'd be a huge celebrity. He became an instant celebrity. You know what the chief priests wanted to do? We find out in chapter 12 that they were like, nah, man, he's dangerous. We have to kill him. What? The chief priests plotted to have him killed again. Apparently, signs of new life are threatening to the established powers and traditions. Think about that. One story says that once he learned of the plot to kill him, he fled to France and became a bishop and eventually died for his faith. Another story says that he and his sisters went went to the island of Cyprus where he was ordained by Paul and Barnabas and served as a bishop and an example of Christian life and hope in the resurrection. We're not quite sure, but whatever he did, I'm guessing he spent the rest of his life trying to tell people and show people what Jesus did for him, how he brought him new life and gave him a new sense of purpose. Friends, this story is an invitation to change the way we live now. It's more than just thinking, which is important. It's more than just believing, which is important. It absolutely matters, but what do you do with it? It's about acting, doing, choosing to live differently. There's this guy named Alan Hirsch. He's written a book called The Forgotten Ways, which is a fantastic read, thick book. Not easy, but awesome. In it, he says this. He says that the best way is not always 
to think our way into a different way of acting. Normally, that's the way we do things, is we think our way into a different way of acting. But when we do that, often we think about it for a little while, but then nothing changes, and we go back to our old ways of being and doing and acting. He says, instead, the best way is to just act our way into a different way of thinking. Act our way into a different way of thinking. So if we're having trouble believing that this world is different than it seems, then we just start acting like it is. Friends, we don't have to sleepwalk through life just waiting for death. So we have an opportunity to to live into to mystery. We have an opportunity to die more than once. Right? To die before we die. To die to self, as Paul would have put it. To put our old life behind. See, the old is gone. The new has come. So I'm going to end this with just a, with just a, a thought experiment, a question. And then we'll pray. What if you died today? And then we're given a Lazarus opportunity. How would you live your life differently? What would you do? What would you value? What would become most important to you? What kinds of choices would you make? What would you give up? What would you let go? What new thing would you start today? I think we as, a, we as a church, I think we have a Lazarus opportunity. What once was alive is dead, but now we're alive again. So what now do we do differently? What now do we value the most? What kinds of things do we let go of? What kinds of things do we want to start? How do we act as if the world now is more like the world God wants it to be? And how do we lean and live into that? Let's talk about it in a little bit. Let's pray.